Hello and welcome to What's The Story. We're an inquisitive bunch of hosts from the What's The Story team on a mission to uncover stories about faith and courage from everyday people. And to help us do just that, we get the privilege to chat with amazing guests and delve into their faith journey, the hurdles they've overcome, and the life lessons they have learned along the way. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and sign up for our newsletter on our website, which is whatsthestorypodcast.com. It's your direct line to the latest episodes and detailed show notes, and they all get delivered straight to your inbox. And the best part, it's absolutely free. What's the Story is brought to you by Crowd Church. We understand that stepping into a traditional church might not be everybody's cup of tea. And that's where Crowd Church steps in, providing a digital sanctuary, a safe space to explore the Christian faith where you can engage in meaningful conversations rather than just simply spectating. So whether you are new to the Christian faith or are in search of a new church family, we invite you to visit us at www.crowd.church. And if you've got any questions, just drop us an email at hello at crowd.church. We're here to help and would genuinely love to connect with you. And now, without further ado, let's meet your host, and our very special guest for today. Hello and welcome to What's the Story. My name is Anna Kettle. Today I'm joined by Becky Carr. Now, Becky is a Brit living in the USA with her husband Jared and two littles, Gabe who's eight and Ayla who's five. She attends the Mile High Vineyard Church, which is in the Denver area, and is an elder there also. She also works for Vineyard USA as executive assistant and the national director. And she's a recent breast cancer survivor, a tea enthusiast, and loves to snowboard and hike in Colorado's Rocky Mountains, which she calls home. One important detail that I should also add to that bio, um, which you may not know, is that Becky is my younger sister, so... Yeah, if we sound like we know each other well, or that you see some family similarities today, then that's why. So, Becky, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. So, I guess we should probably start at the beginning, really, shouldn't we, of your story? Um, and I know we're going to kind of unpack a bit of your cancer journey, because, you know, you had cancer very young. You're a lot younger than me, and um, yeah. But I suppose we should start at the beginning and talk first about kind of your background so people can get a feel for kind of where you've come from. So obviously you grew up in a Christian family. Our dad was a church leader for entire childhood. So obviously you were always raised kind of knowing about God, raised to believe in God. But I just wondered, I guess, at what point in your sort of faith journey did it really start to become something personal to you? Like how did that unfold? Yeah, so, um, yeah, pastor's kid, uh, very cushy childhood, I'd say, like very safe Christian bubble. We had, you know, Christian school and, um, yeah, just, just a great childhood, honestly. Um, and yeah, I grew up always knowing about God and having different experiences with him. Um, but I think it was really 
as I finished uh, secondary school and my A-levels and I went to do a year out with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Um, I did their discipleship training school uh, as my gap year. And I think it was really there that I, for the first time, like experienced God in a more personal way um, that was more than just like something I'd been told or had knowledge. And it really became something that I wanted to interact with personally and I wanted to interact with Jesus and um, ended up my one gap year ended up becoming two gap years I met my husband while I was there um so we were still dating and um yeah traveled all over the world leading different short-term missions trips and just seeing amazing things um miracles and um yeah just had all kinds of amazing experiences um after my second gap year I decided instead of I was due to go to Sheffield University to do biblical studies um, in their department there and I actually ended up changing to London School of Theology where I did my undergraduate degree um, there because I really wanted to study the Bible but more in a Christian context Um, so I decided that LST would be a better fit for me so went did my undergraduate degree in theology and then um married jared about three weeks after graduating so three weeks after yeah it was a little bit stressful that time of my life (laughs) finals dissertations and then planning a marriage yeah i should say our whole childhood becky has never been someone who does things by halves she's like when she decides to do something it's like all in yeah. yeah, that's a great example of that. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously after you got married, moving to America at like 23, 24, mm-hmm. like kind of straight yep. out of college and new, newly married really, weren't you? And then yep. quite soon after that, you, you moved over to the States, which is where Jared was from, to the Midwest. Yep. Um, that must have felt like a big leap of faith for you because you were quite young and you didn't really know what you were sort of stepping into. Um, was it scary or exciting or a bit of both? Like, how was that? I honestly don't even know what I was thinking. When I look back, <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know why, how or why it happened. Um, the plan was always, yeah, Jared's from Colorado originally. His family's all still here. So our plan was always to just come for a year or two for me to get to know his family and his culture. And the plan was always to move back to the UK and then... I think Jared secretly knew if he got me here that I'd probably not want to leave, which was definitely true. But we arrived with, we had six suitcases between the two of us, and that was it. All of our worldly possessions we moved via airplane, six cases. We had like $200 in our bank account. That's not even an exaggeration. Like we were penniless, just like ready to move to America and start and just see what happened. And, um, just ended up loving it here. We found a really great church at the Mahai Vineyard and um, those people kind of just became family to us and we just felt so connected and um, like we could see a life for us here. So we just stayed and here we are 13 years later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two children onwards. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. And it's a long way, but um, yeah, we're, we're, I'm not too uh, bitter about Jared for taking my sister away anymore, but you know. Yeah. I've, I, I don't blame you though. The weather in in uh, your bit of the world is far nicer than it is here, so that alone yes. would, you know, be fair. And it's a beautiful part of the world, Denver, mm-hmm. isn't it? It is gorgeous. Lots of sunshine, Rocky Mountains, skiing, great outdoor life. So yeah, I can't complain either. Yeah. Now, before people think it's all been easy, because <laughs> you know you talk about a lovely childhood, a lovely place right. where you live. 
but you have had some real challenges, haven't you, over the past few years? And obviously, we we touched on it before getting diagnosed with breast cancer at just age thirty three, which is shockingly young. Like normally, when people think of breast cancer, they think of women over fifty. Yeah. And so that's unusual in itself. And it was just after you'd had your second child, your daughter, Ayla. So can you, you tell us a little bit about that experience? Like, how did you discover you had cancer? How did things begin to unfold? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it was summer of 2019. So I was 33 at the time, like you said. Um, I literally woke up one morning and I found a lump the size of a pack of cards um, just sitting on top of my breast. It was literally 10 centimeters wide. Um, I went, didn't go to the doctors immediately. Thankfully, my husband, Jared, persuaded me that I should probably get it checked out. I, at the time, had a four-year-old and a 15-month-old, so I'd recently finished breastfeeding um, our little girl, Ayla, um, and uh, the doctors all kind of said, this is nothing. There's no family history of cancer. Like, there's just no way this is cancer, but we'll do a due diligence and get it checked out. And um, yeah, shockingly, it came back as cancer. Um, it, at that point, it was a stage zero cancer, which if you're going to get cancer, that's the one you want. Um, it was considered non-invasive. Um, at this point, it um, actually wasn't a tumor in the same sense, but they found uh, breast cancer cells all the way through the lining of my milk ducts. Um so I had cancer throughout my whole breast. Um, the the kind of pack of card lump that I had seen was just literally my body reacting to this cancer, um, but it wasn't a traditional tumor. Um, so they told me that uh, I needed surgery. I had to have a mastectomy. Um, the good news was I didn't need chemo or radiation that a mastectomy would deal with it because at that point it was non-invasive. Um, and then I knew I could have breast reconstruction. So that first year was really um, just going through. I mean, it was shocking and terrifying, but they had said it was caught early. Most women have a mastectomy. They never think about this ever again. Like I could just move on with my life. So really that first year I was kind of focused on the breast reconstruction. It was about four surgeries over seven months. They used my own body tissues to rebuild my breast. It was a little more intensive than other types of reconstruction um but i knew in my head like this was going to be it and i could just move on with my life once i'd done these surgeries so that took me to like march of 2020 um literally my last reconstruction surgery was the day before the world closed down for COVID. um so they stopped all elective surgeries like that literally the next day so i was like sweet this has got provision like yeah i just got my my last surgery and now i just could like hunker down during covid and focus on getting better and what you know we're we're done this this story is finished um about three months after that though i was re-diagnosed so um in a very rare change of events um the cancer had come back in the same breast so um it had aggressively mutated um it was appearing as a skin cancer so i actually went to my dermatologists just to think it was some weird little skin thing and it came back as uh, breast cancer. This time it was a completely different type of breast cancer. It was uh, graded, very aggressive. Um, It had mutated and honestly they said they had never seen this 
type of cancer before, this type of mutation. Um, so they said they didn't know how to treat it, really. They had never treated this before. It didn't exist in the medical world. Um, so they just said, we're going to throw everything at it that we can uh, and see if that works. Um, so that was pretty crushing, um, having thought like, you know, I'd done all this reconstruction. I had been through this last year. I'd come out the end feeling like I could move on with my life. And then it was just like another kit. And um, this time they said, you know, I'd have to do chemo and radiation. Um, so I went back for more surgery. Um, and then pretty quickly they turned around and said I needed to do a year just shy of a year of chemotherapy. So I had uh, infusions every three weeks um, for 14 rounds and then a month of uh, pretty intense radiation. Um, so yeah, it's just like my world kind of crumbled again at that point, um, yeah. realizing that I was very far from this journey being over and that there was still a year, full year of treatment ahead of me. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, that's a horrible, like, false ending, isn't it? And then, and it's a lot to navigate, right? Because you're dealing with, suddenly you're dealing with, like, facing a really quite grueling chemo schedule, mm-hmm. like, over a whole year. And you've also still got really young kids at home who don't really understand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and suddenly they're saying, this is kind of cancer that we're not so sure about. And we don't know right. what we're doing with. And, I mean, that must be scary. And, you know, suddenly not knowing for certain you know, from thinking, oh, yeah, I'm done with it. So suddenly thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. Like, they don't know what they're doing with this cancer. You know, there's so many things about that situation, which I'm sure are just incredibly hard. But is there any sort of times in that that stand out as, or anything that stands out as particularly challenging? Like, what what was it? Was it the the shock of feeling like the dis- the kind of disappointment of like, oh, we thought we were done and we're not? Like, with other times that kind of stick out as being really hard or? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, a particular moment was Gabe was now five. He, uh, his first day of kindergarten, I couldn't take him to his first day of school because I was driving to the hospital to get my chemo port fitted. So I was going off for surgery to start this treacherous thing and he was like going to school to start this. And I just remember having that moment of like, I don't know I'm going to see my kids grow up. Like, I don't know I'm going to see my 40s, never mind my kid graduate high school. Or um, So I remember that just being a really poignant day at the very beginning of that treatment. Um, then about three weeks into um, my treatment starting, Gabe ended up in the emergency room. Um, he had a ruptured appendix, so we woke up one night to him uh, throwing up blood in his sleep and we rushed into the emergency room and um, they discovered he had a ruptured appendix with a severe, severe infection throughout his whole abdomen. Um, At this point, I think I'd done one round of chemo, I'd done about a week of radiation and then he was admitted to hospital for about two weeks, right in the middle of that four-week window of radiation and we were living at the hospital with him. Remember, this is like in the middle of COVID still, so (laughs) it was like no visitors allowed like only jared or i could like trade off in the room it was like testing every day in masks and his sister couldn't come to the come inside even the lobby of the hospital like she had to stay outside the building you know she we needed to hand her off and just total uh, logistical nightmare but 
I was, you know, sleeping on the couch in his hospital room, watching him on drip morphine, trying to recover from this horrific infection that was all through his belly. He was in excruciating pain every day. Um, and then I would wake up, walk across the car park to the university hospital where I was getting treatment. I'd go get a round of chemo or another dose of radiation, walk back across the car park, and I'd be back in his hospital room. And that went on for just about two weeks um, every day, like back and forth between these two hospitals while he was laying in bed. Um, so yeah, that was like a really concentrated, like I was going through my own treatment and I was struggling with wondering if it was going to work and if this was the right treatment to save my life. Was I going to die? And then I was watching my kid hooked up to a machine, trying to recover from an emergency surgery and doctors trying to figure out how to treat this horrible infection he had all through his abdomen. And um, yeah, just a really low, low time. Um, yeah, that was probably the most intense part. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, that's it's just so much to deal with at once, isn't it? I mean, logistically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way. Okay. Um, I suppose I'm interested to know, though, like where or perhaps how, um, how you you saw or experienced God in the midst of that situation. Like, did you see God at work in those times too? Like, how did you experience Him or find Him in those moments, which were really dark, as you say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think those first few weeks we were definitely just in survival mode. Like, you're not really even, you're just kind of floating around above yourself, like, just responding to things coming at you. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, we, like I said before, we just had an amazing community around us. So our church, just people rallied around us in the most incredible way. Um, so like externally, I felt very cared for and uh, held together by them. They came and, you know, helped with childcare for Alo and Jared and I were at the hospital. They, brought came women came and like cleaned my house for me and folded my kids laundry because I I mean I couldn't physically do a lot of things till I was fresh out of surgery doing you know sick from chemo all these things and you know women would come and just take care of groceries or cleaning my house doing laundry um bringing meals like we had so many meals and um like just physically held by the people of God um, which I'm just so, so grateful for still. Um, so we had an amazing community. Um, but then internally, I still had this like struggle of like, you know, I was very disappointed with how life had turned out. I was pretty angry at God, I think, at this point. Like, um, yeah, just dealing with like the more spiritual, emotional side um, mm. took some time. And I, I'm not even sure it was a quick resolution for me. I think it's, you know, been as years have passed that I've processed some of that still. Um, mm. but I think initially, like I really, I kind of had this idea that God was supposed to save us. Like he was supposed to show up in a certain way in these times. And he was supposed to just like remove us from this pain and suffering. And like, why God would you let these things happen? Like not just one of these things, but like these layers of difficulty and pain and disappointment and I think I came to the realization like I'd always thought of God as um 
kind of like, yeah, a genie in a bottle. Like I could, if I just say the right prayer and wish the right wish, like he would, mm-hmm. he should do this thing for me. Like he should give me what I'm asking for. And in return, I would, you know, spread his word and tell everybody that he healed me and tell him, tell of his miracles and everybody would come to him. And that was like the deal I had with him. And you like the poster girl for Jesus. Right. I would tell everybody, like, see what he did. You want to believe in him? Like, this was a good deal for God, I thought. Um, and it just didn't happen that way. And so then you're left with like, now what do I do? I kind of had two roads of, Either I can choose this road of bitterness and anger and um, rejecting God and blaming him for it, which just didn't seem to go anywhere. Like I wouldn't say I never went down that road, but it just never felt like there was any light at the end of that tunnel. It was just darkness and more darkness. Like Mm I didn't want to stay there. So then I had to choose, like, was I going to, you know... um, try and reframe some of my thoughts about who he is and what I expected from him. And so I think I really, um, yeah, I had to wrestle with some of that internally of who is God in the midst of this. And um, yeah, that he's not just there to, to give me what I want and take away my pain, but he, I believe he steps in and he actually like walks with us and he can give us peace in the midst of those um intense crazy moments and um he can actually walk us through it and there's a thing of hope in there that you know that's this isn't the end and that um yeah that my hope in god is honestly what kind of pulled us through that time yeah it's it's interesting isn't it because i mean certainly when you know in times when i've been through difficult things as well i know that it's really I can really relate to what you're saying because I've been like, well, you could become very bitter and angry, but also like it's, it's, it's caused me to sort of change how I saw God a bit too. And, and, and I really relate to what you're saying because it's like, actually the thing that, um, I sort of became a realization for me and it kind of really rings true of what you're saying is that like actually Jesus said to his disciples, didn't he, that in this world, you'll face trouble. He didn't say you're going to have an easy life or I'll dig you out of every problem that you have. He says you will face trouble, but you know, I will be with you in it. And that's really what he promises. You know, he promises his Holy Spirit to be with them. And, um, and you see that in the early church, don't you? And, and with those disciples after Jesus's death and crucifixion and resurrection. And it's like, yeah, it, it's like they don't have an easy, life and I don't quite know where this kind of modern Western Christian worldview we kind of quite often grow up with um, yeah. comes from but it's not really biblical and that was something that kind of really I had to really address as well so I, I yeah. totally relate to that because I think it's very easy to think if you've had an easy life it's you know that's God's doing and yeah. also like that's what you're entitled to as a Christian and and I don't think that is actually the deal and okay. you know that's not kind of yeah it doesn't certainly doesn't like marry up to any scripture i can find particularly yeah. i think perhaps just a a cultural kind of thing that we've grown up mm-hmm. leaving quite often in the western church um so yeah that's yeah. that's really interesting I, I you know i love what you're saying there yeah and um so you obviously talked a bit there about how 
it changed how you saw saw God and how you related to God a little bit or thought about your faith. But it, I guess looking back now, if you could sort of distill it into one thing, like around what you've learned through the experience, like what would it be? Like, what do you know now going through that season that you didn't know before? Hmm. You know, has it changed your sort of outlook? Yeah. I think I now think of God as someone who promises to be with us. I think it was, um, I think Brené Brown describes her faith as being like, instead of it being an epidural, like that they were talking about of like, if I just press my button, he'll make my pain go away. And that's mm-hmm. what God is. Instead, thinking of him like a midwife and someone who like is with us in our pain and is like there helping us through those moments instead of just removing us from those things. So I think I've slowly learned that like what God promises us is to be with us in mm. the midst of that and promises to see us through mm. however that ends. And that's not always a happy ending. Like I still don't know my ending. Like we think mm. we got the cancer, but like I said, they were kind of treating it blind. So like I don't know my outcome. Um but I'm trusting at the moment you're cancer free though. Like Yeah, so they I'm in I think I'm just coming up to the three-year mark of where they would count um, my re-diagnosis. Um, so, yeah, as far as I know, I know I do regular scans and blood work and all these things to show indicators. And right now they're saying there's no evidence of cancer in my body. Um, but, yeah, they also said they were treating a unknown cancer and they were stabbing in the dark at it. So that's always there, like, you know, in the back of my mind. I'd I'm trusting that and in some ways it doesn't matter because what I know is that regardless of the outcome that God's with me in the process and um, he's that midwife who's just sitting with me and he's rubbing my back and he's breathing with me and he's saying I'm here till this baby comes till this new life comes like I'm here I'm I'm gonna see this through with you Um, and there was one bible verse that really stuck with me through it um it's from James 1. Um, in fact, I have it here. I'm going to read it. It says, um, anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. And that, that phrase like life and more life really stuck with me because I think we always think like the reward is like, for me, I wanted the healing, right? I wanted to be cancer free. I wanted a certain outcome and that in this scenario does look like life as we know it um but also i had to become okay with dying and with my life not being the way i anticipated it going and so whether i lived or died like paul says you know to live is christ to die is gain like the reward is him either way it's him in this life or it's him in the next like the reward can't be just what he gives me. It can't be healing. It can't be even his peace or like good things that we seek from him, his comfort, his whatever faithfulness, like all of those things are good, but ultimately it's him. Like he has to be the, the prize and the reward. And so, um, I think, yeah, I, reflecting back, I think I've grown to be okay with like, Jesus is enough for me today and tomorrow if tomorrow comes and tomorrow if the next day comes and 
Um, it's not stuff. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not even legacy or anything. Like the reward is for me is him and mm-hmm. whether that's in this life and I live another day or whether it's I die and I meet him face to face, like he is my reward and that has to be enough. And I had to get to a point where I could say that he was enough and whether I lived or died or anything in between, he was enough for me. Um, so yeah, I think uh, reflecting back, that's probably one of the, the biggest things. Mm. And that's like what I wanted versus what I needed, you know? So I wanted healing. I wanted a great story that I could tell people. But if I had had that, my life would probably just be looking the same as it did before. I probably would still be like running around frazzled and stressed and overstretched and not taking care of myself and lots of things that I changed in my life after my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, What I actually needed was more of him in my life. I needed to be on my knees before him every morning I wake up and say god I need you like I I don't know how many days I have left but I know I need you today and uh, what I needed was like a internal renewal I think um, mm. more more than an external healing wow wow that's really really profound and um yeah just very challenging um, I guess I mean so it's kind of you sort of touched on it there but has it sort of has the experience changed the way you look at life now then I mean I guess it can't not do right because mm-hmm. you didn't you know it can't not do to kind of have a near-death experience where it's like I don't know if I'm going to get through this and come out the other side or not like, you know that that really constant I think you touched on it but that really concentrates the mind right mm-hmm. it, it's certain focusing when you think I may not have much longer to live that happens there I guess like how did you find that yeah I mean I definitely pretty quickly you know you read start reading books and you start reading all the blogs about cancer and taking care of yourself so I pretty immediately made some big life changes um in addition to all you know the treatments so I think I realized how much I had not been taking care of myself like professionally I was a personal assistant I was taking care of other people. I was a mom to little kids. Like there's no way to not just be fill your life with taking care of other people. So it was happening at home. It was happening professionally in church. You know, we were very busy leading things and taking care of people. And I'd honestly like neglected taking care of myself. Honestly, I didn't, wasn't thinking about sleeping well or eating well or exercising after having kids or. Just lots of things like that. I really had to completely overhaul my life and create some margin that I had never had. Like I'd always like push myself to the limits of like what can I cram in every week. And um, so I think one of the biggest changes for me was like building margin into my life again and creating yeah. spaces to have quiet time alone without my kids around and like putting working out on my calendar to like actually make sure it happened and being careful about what we were eating and drinking and just I mean everything got completely hauled over um yeah and you even kind of have changed like your work and your sort of work-life balance and stuff like that haven't you like you and like you know you're kind of working in 
it's all more of a ministry context now, whereas mm-hmm. you weren't yeah. for the cancer. And that, I guess, like what I see looking on, you know, as, as a family member is, you know, you've also become really focused about what you do or don't want to do and what's important, what's really not worth worrying about. And yeah, kind of giving you that kind of, I guess, seeing life as a real gift and not taking it for granted, but also making the most of, you know, that focus that comes with making the most of every minute you've got. And actually like, I don't want to waste my years doing something that I don't really care about. And I want the time I've got and the here and now, like that you talked about before, like not knowing for sure if cancer will ever come back, but actually Mm -hmm. you've got today and you know, you know, you're here and there's the here and now and, you know, you need God today and you want to make the most of that. And I think there is something really, you know, kind of focusing about that, isn't there? Like, well, I don't know about tomorrow, but I have to live in today and not worry about those things beyond my control. But actually what I can control is what what I do with the time I have now. Um, And like, I really see that that change in you as well. I know you talked about it before and that's, that's quite inspiring. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel like it gave me clarity. The whole situation just gave me clarity on what are my values? What do mm-hmm. I want to do with the, I mean, our lives are just minutes and hours and days and hopefully months and years, but none of us know. So if I had a day left or a month or a year, like what would I want to do with that? And how would I want to spend those minutes and hours? And so, yeah, like I said, I looked kind of looked under every rock in my life and started turning things upside down and yeah started a a new job and um yeah more ministry oriented and I just I've always loved our local church and wanting to kind of serve in that ministry arena again and um, just want to put my time to things that actually matter to me and that have values in my life um so yeah just everything everything got turned upside down and um yeah, it seems radical, some of it, but I don't know. I'm like, that's the, I think that was the gift of cancer to me was that I, it kind of narrowed my vision and my sight on what was important and what wasn't. And, um, it gave me the freedom to just make changes that I probably honestly wouldn't have done otherwise. I'd just be living a mediocre life. Like Jared and I always used to say, like, uh, our little slogan on a house was like, I love our life. Like pre, pre-cancer, even, you know, early on with kids, we're like, we love our life. I just can't believe I get to live this life. And it's not that we don't love our life now, but it was kind of just this cocky, like we'd never experienced really anything hard. Like, mm-hmm. of course we loved life. Like it was so easy. We'd never actually, we're in our twenties, you know, living the life and just doing whatever we wanted to do. We weren't like focused really on anything. Um, mm-hmm. So I still say now I love I love my life today probably mm-hmm. more than ever actually um, having gone through this and mm-hmm. so, yeah that was definitely the gift of cancer was just narrows your vision and helps you reassess your values and put priority where things need to be so I'm grateful for that piece yeah well I'm I'm really grateful for you uh, coming on today and sharing a bit about your story I mean so challenging to hear some of what you say and I guess the challenge for some of us listening you know is like could we like reconsider some of that stuff without you know like that those questions are things we should be thinking about 
right. whether or not we have a cancer diagnosis. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's that uh, thing, isn't it, that you kind of would like to think God could do it without like using something awful. But sometimes it, it takes that big thing, doesn't it, to really shake yeah. that shake up in your life that you need. Yeah. But, yeah, I thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been really great to hear a bit about your story. Um, I, you know, and to be honest, I could keep chatting to you about it for ages. Um, but I am conscious of time on the podcast. So I'm going to wrap up a conversation in a minute. But yeah, I did want to say thank you for giving up your time today to talk to us and sharing so generously your story. Um, and also just to let listeners know that if Becky's story is particularly resonated with you you can feel free to reach out to her you can um do that through the crowd church team uh just drop us an email or reach out to us on the website at crowd.church and we can put you in touch with her if you want to connect or hear a bit more about her story perhaps you've got some you know overlapping story as well um so becky a big thank you for joining us today thanks for being here it's been great to have you thanks for having me it was a pleasure to share with you And just like that, we have reached the end of another fascinating conversation. Now, remember to check out Crowd Church at www.crowd.church, even if you might not see the point of church. You see, we are a digital church on a quest to discover how Jesus can help us live a more meaningful life. We are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith and a place where you can contribute and grow. And you are welcome at Crowd Church. Don't forget to subscribe to the What's the Story podcast on your favorite podcast app because we've got a treasure trove of inspiring stories coming your way, and we would basically hate for you to miss any of them. And just in case no one has told you yet today, remember you are awesome. Yes, you are. Created awesome. It's just a burden you have to bear. What's the Story is a production of Crowd Church. Our fantastic team, including Anna Kettle, Sadaf Bainon, and me, Edmondson, uh, and Tanya Hutzelak, work behind the scenes tirelessly to bring you all these fabulous stories. Our theme song is a creative work of Josh Edmondson. And if you're interested in the transcript or show notes, head over to our website, whatsthestorypodcast.com. And whilst you're there, sign up for our free weekly newsletter to get all of this goodness delivered straight to your inbox. So that's it from all of us this week here at What's the Story. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. We'll catch you next time. Bye for now.